to a time of prayer now. I want to um, make mention of uh, church members real quickly. And I didn't ask for permission, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, Don and Barbara Nyman, faithfully front row every week. Parents of some very good friends of ours from Rock Hill. I've been in the church for how many years have y'all been around here? About seven and a half years. They're going to be moving to Brentwood, Tennessee to be with one of their daughters and to live there, leaving on March 11th, I believe. So uh, we just want to celebrate you. Thank you. And we'll be praying for you and miss you here. Uh, and you always have a church home uh, to come back to here. The golf will still be good. So, but let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for friendships in the church. Thank you for Greetings of little ones to come and goodbyes of friends uh, who've been with us for years. Father, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. That it is through Christ and the beauty that we have in him, that we're united with him, that we're somehow brought together and are in him and he is in us. But then this, this mystery continues as we are joined to one another in some way as well. And that we're to love one another, encourage one another, support one another, cry with one another, laugh with one another, provide for one another. Father, would we be a church that does that well, always looking to the needs of others above our own? And would we, in great generosity, give out of both our wealth and our poverty uh, to meet the needs of those around us? And the needs are many. Those in our church and in our community, God, we pray. Uh, that you would use our church powerfully. There are so many, some say 90% of our county does not go to church, does not have a relationship with you. Father, uh, the fields are white unto harvest. Would we be motivated both out of our deep and incredible love for you and your love for us, but also our passion that no one should perish, but that all would come to faith in you. Father, would we be mobilized through the use of our gifts, through uh, the use uh, of our talents in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, to see many come to faith. God, we pray that we would be a church uh, that doesn't just speak nice things or even write nice things about our values and our vision, but we would be a church in action and that we would live out to the convictions that we hold. Father, bless us. Would you use us? We pray for our friends around the world who we support through missions and ministry. We pray for brothers and sisters around the world who we've never seen and won't until glory, but who are worshiping now, who are struggling to persevere under great um, persecution. Father, we don't know what that's like at all. And God, would you support them and strengthen them? We praise you and we give you glory. Now would you send your spirit afresh and anew in this place, renew our minds and our hearts through the reading and hearing of your word and through its teaching. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so we come this morning continuing in our look at the book of Ecclesiastes. I hope that you have enjoyed it. I hope that it has been challenging, but not too challenging. I hope that we've raised the bar a little bit as far as your need uh, to really dig in and and to move beyond what is easy and comfortable, uh, but not so far that you become frustrated and just throw in the towel on these things. Uh, I need to begin by making a a correction. 
Uh, last week, I mistakenly gave credit to the mamas and the papas for turn, turn, turn. Uh, obviously, uh, that was the birds uh, who uh, sang that in 1965. Thank you for several of you who reminded me uh, of that uh, this week. So I promise that I will double-check uh, future quotations and citations uh, more carefully. But um, some of you are going, I have no idea. But um, just thought I'd bring that to your attention just for credibility's sake. But we've been looking in this series at the Koheleth, the teacher, the professor, the philosophy professor who has gathered us into his classroom and is saying uh, at some point in the midst of his life, probably near the end of his life as he reflects on it, he's saying, let me teach you a few things. And what he's teaching us and what he is challenging us is that the world presents answers to the deepest questions that we have, but those answers are false and they don't lead us to truth. And that this life is of absolutely no value. It is striving after the wind. It is vanity of vanities if all we have is life under the sun. If this is all there is. If this truly is as good as it gets, then there's no hope. There's no meaning for injustice. There's no meaning in suffering. There's no meaning in what we do in toil and labor. And we go to philosophies that try to tell us and teach us these things. They try to give meaning to life, but at the end of the day, they're all founded under the sun. And so we have to look beyond the sun to the one who created all things, who gives meaning to all things, uh, who interprets all things for us. And we go to him and say, God, this may not make sense right now to me, but I trust that you have a vantage point that is higher than mine. You can see the tapestry uh, being woven and my life being a part of that tapestry. And I have to submit myself and in great humility lay aside my haughtiness, my pride, and go, I don't know the end from the beginning, therefore I have to trust you in this and know that you're at work, that you have given meaning to the things that I've experienced. Because if you think about the Koheleth, about Solomon, he'd tried it all, hadn't he? Sex, he'd been there. Wealth, been there. Conquest, been there. All the stuff, been there. Uh, Financial gain, All of the business expertise that he had, all of even the wisdom that he had, all of that stuff, reputation in the community, reputation in the world, he had it. And at the end of the day, he said, it's vanity of vanities, it's striving after the wind. There is no value to a man's life if this is all there is. And it's sad that we still live in a day and an age which continues to promote and promote and promote for us to make decisions, to teach our young people, to teach our children and in our education systems, to try to frame a a rubric of the world, a matrix of the world that says don't even consider eternal things. It's all about the now. It's all about the now. Well, when you get to be a little more mature, hopefully, and, you don't, and you're not resigned to not asking questions, what I really hope that you're getting out of this is that you're learning to ask better questions. It doesn't mean you're finding all the answers. Remember, we said in Ecclesiastes uh, that really at some level should be the primer to all of the scriptures. It should be the one at the beginning setting up all of the big, massive, eternal questions that the rest of the 65 books begin to answer for us. And so it's just helping you ask better questions. It's challenging you. It's challenging you to be willing to go where it's emotionally difficult to go and scary. 
challenging you to ask more profound questions, to give better answers to, well, it is what it is. But why is it that way? Is there something more to all of this than just living and dying? I sure hope so. Well, this week, uh, we are moving into chapter six, uh, chapter seven, excuse me. And we're going to look really at the first 14 verses of chapter seven, not the whole chapter. We're not getting through every chapter uh, of Ecclesiastes. We're looking at several of them over the next couple of weeks. And what we're looking at today is how do we interpret suffering, pain, death, uh, those things. How are they used by God to help to root out within us both wisdom and folly or foolishness? Foolishness would say there's no meaning in them. It's just the end of how things happen. It's just death. It's just a funeral. Wisdom would say, is there anything more to this? And so we're going to look and we're going to see. And C.S. Lewis... He was writing after the death of his wife, and he wanted to write at one point under a surname. He didn't want to use his real name because his questions were so profound that he thought they would upset the people who knew him to be a believer, and he was really wrestling with God through suffering and pain, trying to find meaning in it. And out of that, he wrote this quote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What do you normally like to gravitate towards? Happy things, right? Good things. Things that make you happy and joyful and all of that. And that's natural at some level. But what happens is we have such a bent towards those things that we have a very natural tendency to swing away from anything that's dark, difficult, and hard. We just say, well, that's just the way it is. Remember, that's what we said, for everything there is a season under the sun. It just keeps going and going and going. It turns and it turns and it turns. And the Koheleth, the teacher, is saying, there's got to be more to it. There has to be more to it. So what we're going to look at first is death, sorrow, grief, laughter. All of those things have the ability and are designed to reveal our hearts. They are designed to reveal something about you. Now, I tell couples who are getting married, who are dating, now you need to know this about a dating relationship. A dating relationship prior to marriage is all about concealing oneself. You're putting on your best face. You're putting on your makeup. You're fixing your hair. The guys are putting on deodorant. They're brushing their teeth more than once a week. Uh, They're putting the lid up. They're putting it back down. They're doing all the right things so that you can conceal who you are. Because guess what happens when you get married? It's all about revealing. Then all of a sudden you go, what happened to that person? Well, we live most of our lives trying to conceal things. We don't like to be revealed. We don't like our hearts exposed, do you? You don't like to be exposed. You don't uh, like to, to be vulnerable in that way. Well, what God is saying to us this morning is that he uses death and sorrow and difficulties. He uses laughter and joy. All of these things he uses to reveal whether we have a bent towards wisdom or a bent towards folly and frivolity. So let's listen to God's word, the first six verses. I hope you guys up in the booth, I'm not driving you too crazy. But the first six verses. A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. 
It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. That's light, isn't it? Better is the day of your death than the day of your birth. It's better for you to go into the house of mourning than to go in the house of mirth or joy. It's better for you to recognize sorrow and sadness than just empty laughter. It's better. First time I had to really consider this passage was a few years ago. I had to go and sit in front of two teenagers and explain to them that their mother had just put a .30-06 to her chin and pulled the trigger. And their father, who uh, was estranged at the time, was in another city on business. And I didn't know these kids. I knew who they were. So I had to sit with them and tell them these things. And I got together with the family later, and the son, who was a senior in my son's high school, said, Reverend McCutcheon, I want you to read Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 6 at my mom's funeral. And the father looked at me at some point, and he said, make sure you explain that this life is all we have, and you better grab the gusto. That's what I've taught my family as long as I can, because this life is it. So I want you to make sure that you, you explain that. The Koheleth would say, it is better for you to experience loss in this life. There is more for you to learn at a funeral than there is for you to learn at a birth. There are deeper and more profound questions of eternity, deeper and more profound questions about the heart of an individual. You learn more at a funeral than you do. In the day of one's birth. The day of one's birth a good thing? Absolutely. But it is in no way, shape, or form the teaching instrument. It is no way, shape, or form the, the scalpel in the hand of our loving God, who is our surgeon, who wants to teach and cut away the things that need to be cut away. He uses death and funerals in a much more profound way than he does even the birth of little ones. Think about it. And I believe it was January 30th, 1965, Sir Winston Churchill was buried. 112 dignitaries from around different countries came and were at his funeral. The procession was seen by hundreds of thousands along the way. There were millions watching the BBC broadcast. Some of you maybe even watched the BBC broadcast of that as he was taken to the cathedral. You learned a lot about Sir Winston Churchill's life. You learned who he was at the day of his funeral much more than you would have 90 years earlier at his birth. Just the birth of a little boy. You had no idea what he was going to be like. But what you found out about that man at his funeral was profound. His impact on world history. His impact in the lives of others. And then when he was laid to rest after the benediction... What you found out about him was he was a man who had a deep and a profound belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because years before, he had written out his funeral. 
And he had said, after the benediction, I want a bugler, a bugler to be placed in the cathedral and to play taps, the song of secession, that it's done, that the day is over, that the light is gone. And that would make sense. But to surprise and to the shock of many, he said, and I want a bugler to play Reveille because I know that I'm awakened to the beauty and the glory of my God. The day of his death revealed something about him. We learn things in the midst of difficulty. We learn things in that. In contrast, I remember going and attending a funeral of a man who was a scoundrel. He was a man who was a horrible father, a terrible dad, a louse as a husband, known as a cheater in the community, in business, and very few people showed up. His funeral said something about his life. You learn an awful lot. But most of us don't want to even consider those things. But what the Koheleth is saying, what the Lord is trying to say to us just for a moment is this. What will be said on your day? When you're laid to rest, what will the profit be that you left in this world? What will the gain be? What will people say? Boy, he was just a good guy. Been to those funerals. Boy, she just loved life. It's life under the sun. Or will there be something more profound that is learned at your funeral day? That's what the Kohelis is trying to say. That's what God is trying to challenge us of saying, what's the significance and meaning of your life? Well, you're not going to get there if you only stay in the now. If you drive from Atlanta uh, towards Macon and then come over this way, somewhere between Atlanta and Macon, if you're heading from Atlanta this way, on the right is a church with a very large purple sign. And do anybody remember what the name of that church is? You've seen it? Church of the Now. I've wanted to pull off there for years and go, really? All you're being and giving to folks is now? If all I say to you is this, hey, grab it now while you're in high school, guys, because this is the best there is. Grab it now when you're young and don't have kids. This is the best there is. Grab it now when your kids are young because this is the best there is. You better grab it now when there's nobody left in your house. It's just now. There's nothing in that. So the writer is saying, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain, as you consider even those things which force us to deal with our eternality, and nothing forces you to deal with that more than having to face death. I'm embarrassed to say this, but Lisa and I enjoy a movie called Moonstruck. Cher was in it. I'm really embarrassed. I lose my man card with many of you guys. I get it. But there's a great line in there. The husband has been cheating on his wife, and Olivia Dukakis, the wife, sees him coming in, and she looks at him, and she says, Honey, I just want you to know this. You're going to die. And he goes, Thanks. I'm, I'm going to bed now. But what she was saying was this. You can run after every skirt that there is. You can run after every woman that there is to find meaning. But at the end of the day, you're still going to die. It's not going to give you life. Something beyond this sun has to give you life. 
Something beyond this world has to give you life. And it's only when you contemplate deep and profound and even at some level sinister things that you begin to answer those questions. He said it's not in the house of joy. It's not in the the festival and the laughter of frivolity. Those questions aren't there. Uh, They're not going to ever get there. If you're just hanging out with guys and all of life is just one big continual frat party, you're probably going to be an incredibly shallow person. Your response to everything is crack open another one. Keg party's coming Friday night. Boy, but life's really getting you down. Yeah, but man, I can go do this. Or if you're, maybe there's a better score out there on the golf course for you. Maybe it's just hanging out on the turn with the boys. Maybe it's just hanging out with the women at the club. Maybe that's all there is. Well, guess what? You're never going to get deep satisfaction for your soul there. Are you? Some of you are going, dang, Bill, we wanted a light, fun Sunday. We'll get to the light fun in just a moment. But the only way to get there is to really wrestle down and say, this God, and some of you are here and you're not believers. Some of you are here and tipping your toes back into the church. And I'm so glad that you're here because what I want you to hear is God and the scriptures give you the answers to your deepest and most challenging needs. He's not a frivolous, light little God. I don't know about you, but the stuff I wrestle with, I just don't need to know that Jesus hugs me. And then I can put my head in my daddy's lap. Those are nice things, but I need to know that my God is in control and that there's some meaning to all of this stuff. And that if I get a yes or I get a no from him, I still know that he's the one giving the yes and the no. And that I can trust in him in the midst of it. I've heard from some of you who love your children so much and you're still, even as older parents, worried about your children. You don't need me to just gloss it over and say, oh, they'll be fine. It is what it is. They're just living for the now. You need to know that your God is in the middle of their stuff and using it. You see, we learn an awful lot about life, whether we want wisdom, whether we want uh, just frivolity and lightness. We find it out in the deep and dark I remember back in the 70s when Billy Joel, you know, had that song. And in it he said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. What does that say about his worldview? It's all under the sun. I still remember hearing it for the first time and going, yeah. I'm tired of those church people. They're boring. And you know what I did from the time I was 13 until the time I was 22? I laughed with the sinners. And I couldn't stand being around saints. Because all I thought was this life. All it was was here. That's not what it's all. It's good to laugh, isn't it? Is it okay to laugh? Is it okay to feel good? I'm just, it's okay to have good times and to feel good. I don't want you to walk away going, dang. All I'm supposed to do is feel cruddy about my life. Then maybe I'll be closer to God. No, it's good to have those times. But only in their right place can they be fully understood. Laugh, sing, make joy. But always do it in knowing why. You see, your response to uh, all of this is important. Because he says, he, he goes down there in verse 5, and he says, It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man uh, than for one to listen to the song of fools. He says, For as the crackling of a thorn bush under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. We were over with some friends, and he uh, uh, 
it was Jeff Peters. I'll just put it out there. Uh, Jeff thought it'd be good. He had some old uh, Christmas trees. You ever tried to have a nice warm fire with an old Christmas tree limb? You know what? It sounds really cool, doesn't it? And it just goes. And then guess what happens to it? It's gone. What he's saying here is, guess what? You'll learn more about yourself when you have a friend come to you and challenge you. And say, this needs to be dealt with in your life. And not just, oh, go ahead, it's just fun. Because just a fool and just the happiness and the silly little words that come from nobody who wants to challenge you. Most of you have done this in your life. You have strategically chosen friends and chosen relationships who won't challenge you. It's the crackling of thorns under a pot. It'll never get and accomplish its task. But if you have people around you who will actually push you a little bit, the word of a wise man to another to challenge you beyond is more than the silly empty, and the word there he uses is the empty laughter of fools. You want people in your life who will laugh with you, but at the end of the day will push you and challenge you. Are those easy to have? Those enjoyable all the time? No. I'm married to my wife 21 years later because of a friend who is so much more than a crackling branch underneath a pot of water. Because I was acting the fool and I was being an idiot in my relationship with Lisa. And this friend loved me enough to look at me and go, Bill, if you don't humble yourself under God, if you do not stop with this pride and this arrogance, you will lose everything that you hold dear. I never thought I'd have to say this to you. And I surely never thought I'd have to say this to a pastor. But you are blind and you're stubborn and you are going to lose it all. Do you think that was an easy conversation for anybody in that room? No, it wasn't. But I thank God for David Shores. Because if he had said, you're right. She is a pain. You're right. Raising three sons is tough. You're right. You are right, buddy. It's tough. There's an easier life out there somewhere else. Just go run after it. I wouldn't be looking at those three sitting out here today. I wouldn't be standing here. I wouldn't get to see my wife after she's with our kids in children's church. But I had a friend who was more than just a crackling little laughter under a pot. Are you willing to be that friend And are you willing to allow others to be that friend to you in your life? That's when meaning comes. But it's difficult. That's what he's saying. These are all difficult things. He says your response is paramount in this. The first thing is it reveals a lot to you. But your response is paramount in this. How will you respond when these things are revealed? And we're running short. But I'll say this. He says beginning in verse 7 to 10. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness. And a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these days? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. He's basically saying be careful. When difficulties come, when challenges come, when you're in the midst of that, be careful not to long for the good old days. Embrace where you are. And say, God, what do you want me to learn here? Why do you want me to learn here? Because the reality is, you don't know the end, do you? 
You don't know the beginning from the end. You don't know where it's going to lead. You don't know what God has in store for you. You don't know. And the only way that you would think that you know is that we have such deep pride and arrogance that we think we have. You know where anxiety is driven from? From a prideful heart. Did you realize that? That anxiety and fretting is driven from your pride because what you're saying is, God, I'm really concerned because if you don't get me that house, God, if you don't do this for me then, God, if this doesn't happen then, then things are going to fall apart. What I'm saying is, God, I know what's better for my life than you do. I know the end before the beginning. And God's saying, trust me. You can't make straight what God has bent. Which leads us to this last part. It says this, there is great value in accepting what God has given you. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be left after him. What's it saying? Very shortly, this. God's in control. We serve a sovereign God, and that's a word that sends some of you running. But we serve a sovereign God, not in a fatalistic way, not in a way that just simply says let go and let God, not in a way that sticks a bumper sticker on that says God's my co-pilot. No, he is the pilot. He's the plane. He's the air. He's all of it. He's in control of all these things. And he says, I can be trusted by you. I can be trusted by you. So in the midst of joy, be thankful, but go, God, what am I supposed to learn in the midst of joy? And in the midst of sorrow and difficulty, ask him, what am I supposed to learn here as well? And what you're going to find out, Thomas Wilcox, who was a wonderful Puritan writer, said, Judge not Christ's love by providence, but by promises. Not by the circumstance, but by his promises. Bless God for shaking off false foundations. For any way whereby he keeps the soul awakened and looking after Christ, better sickness and temptations than security and superficiality. Hmm. Good words. Good thoughts. I'm going to end with Psalm 81. It's a great psalm. Written in a time for people who were celebrating what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was when they were looking back and they were saying, God took care of us in the midst of the desert, in the midst of the wilderness. And as they were looking around, he says, you know, sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and sound the tambourine and sweet lyre and all. And he keeps going on and on. He says, but you see, I was trying to take care of you in the wilderness. I was trying to take care of you there, but you didn't want it. He picks up in verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe towards him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. What beautiful poetry. Do you know what you find when you're in wildernesses and in deserts and some of you are experiencing that with difficulties now? Do you know what you find? You find that the salient characteristics of deserts and wildernesses is they cannot sustain life. 
They were not designed to sustain life. And God has us at times in the midst of wildernesses and we experience suffering and we're in these deserts. Why? To teach you this. This world cannot sustain your life. It was never designed to do it. Only he can. Only in Christ can you find your life. Only in Christ can you find those answers. Only in trust in him. Because he says, guess what you find in the wilderness? You find rocks in the wilderness. And guess what you find in those rocks? In Psalm 81, he says, you find honey. So instead of running away from your wildernesses, instead of running away uh, from your, your difficulties, run towards them. And I promise you, you'll find a rock. And springing from the rock is living water and honey sweet to the taste. For in it you find him. And you realize this life is not all there is. And folks, that's good news. Because then guess what you get to do about this life? You get to enjoy it. You're not asking too much of it. You get to say, this is awesome. This house that I'm in, it's awesome. People go, well, Bill, where are you going to be in three months? I have no clue. But you know what I know? Is that my God knows. And I don't have to worry, so I can just enjoy today a little bit more. Because I don't have to be so always worried about tomorrow. God says, trust me, and then enjoy what I give you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you. Thank you for difficult passages. Thank you for difficult books. Thank you for the Koheleth who is teaching us by your word, your power and spirit in him. And there's some here today that needed to hear this so profoundly. Because they are at their wit's end. They're holding on by a thread. Because life just isn't making sense to them. And Father, I pray that you would show yourself shining through all of their circumstance and inviting them to life beyond this one. Life in the Son, in Christ. So Father, would you make sense of all of our joy and all of our suffering? And would we come to you and rest in you and find joy in you and celebrate well? This we pray in your Son's name. Amen. Let's stand.